At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombicure, the world messenger, and I have uh, another epic guest on today's Legacy Leader Show. I am super excited that I actually scored the time with this phenomenal human being that is extremely busy, very successful and accomplished, that has also phenomenal podcast uh, and he's podcaster speaker himself and also executive coach so we have interesting notes to compare in this industry but he's also known as a side hustle millionaire his bestseller a book that really covers amazing content there without further ado guys let me introduce you to tony watley tony welcome how are you isabella thank you for having me on your show i can't wait to get to know your audience and maybe give them some tips today. Fantastic, brilliant. Uh, obviously, you have amazing range of uh, plethora of experiences and guests and everything you do. Obviously, uh, being a podcaster and having phenomenal show 365 driven that I absolutely love. I'm just so curious to see how do you got where you are today on this amazing journey. So if you don't mind sharing, not just from entrepreneurial standpoint, but also from the business and, and, and things that really got you to be dabbling into all these amazing cool things, executive coaching, uh, author writing the books, obviously podcasting and sharing some amazing golden nuggets. So please uh, let us a little bit about yourself. Where did you start it? Yeah, it seemed like right now in Houston, Texas, but where your journey began? I would say that it began in childhood. I was always trying to figure out how to make money. I was broke. You know, my parents didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have allowance. And so I had to be resourceful to go out there and figure things out. So for me, that involved mowing yards, which is kind of funny because the, the land, the, the yard crew just showed up. So I might be competing during this interview with the microphone. You might be see me going mute because there might, there's a mowing the yard outside. So mowing yards, washing cars, walking dogs, selling candy that I would buy a box of the candy at the store and I'd take it to school and I'd sell individual pieces to multiply the money and you know, I didn't really think of that as entrepreneurship is that's just that was a way for me to buy video games and skateboards and, and bicycles, right? And All those cool things that yeah, boys want and want to have, want. and don't want to be begging parents. But that is very interesting. How old are you when you were recognizing I can do something and not beg my parents and not wait when and if they can provide for me these extra cool things. So do you mind sharing when that journey started? How old are you? Yeah, for me, that was around age 11. So, I, and I did that all the way through high school. And, and I didn't think about entrepreneurship really until I started to become an entrepreneur. And that was in my later 20s. So I thought about just trading dollars for time. It was always about, hey, if you want more money, go get a better job or get your education. And I got my engineering degree. And and even if when you weren't making money then, I, I would still wait tables at the restaurants at night even with an engineering job. 
And then I was working on cars as a mechanic and making them go faster. And my, my passions have always been cars and, and entrepreneurship. I would, I remember going to the, the grocery store with my mom. And while she was shopping, I would run to the magazine rack and I would read magazines. <laughs> I would read my car magazines and I would read Entrepreneur and Forbes, not because I was really you know, fascinated by it, but they always talked about money on the covers of those magazines and I didn't have money. So I said, Hey, they're talking about money. So maybe if I read these things, it'll teach me how to get money. And, and that's what it did. I actually just forced myself to read those. And I started to learn what it meant and understood it. And even at age 14, 15, I understood what Forbes and entrepreneur were telling me. And if you read these things enough, it started to just kind of stick. And I started to think in that mode. And I didn't really start practicing that until after college, when I started my first business, I was 28. And I wouldn't even say I was a good entrepreneur at that point. I was just trying to make $500 a month. You know, that was the first side of us. I was like, hey, I want to build this website to have my friends that have cars and hang around and talk about cars on the web internet. And so that'd be cool. If I could make $500 a month from advertisers or sponsors, then I would be able to have a free car note. And that's what I was thinking about when I started that website. Wow, that is amazing journey. And, and I have to say, we share our so passion for cars. I love fast cars, sports cars. One of my favorites, obviously, Ferrari growing up in Europe. And I'm just curious, what kind of sports cars do you love? And I learned, obviously, German engineering and Porsche has been in my blood. So I'm just curious, um, what sports cars you are a big fan of? Well, I grew up with uh, American muscle cars and my parents uh -huh. always had Camaros and Mustangs and Malibus and things like that. And my family is always a General Motors type Chevrolet type household. So I, my favorite cars are still Camaros, like the 1969 Camaro. I've had several of those and I've built those at a really high level and those have been on covers of magazines. And for me, I like Dodge Vipers. I got a few Dodge Vipers. So anything that's American and big engines with the manual transmissions are my favorite. That is amazing. And I remember when I came to US, my first car, I have to say that I purchased with cash that was from actually a good car racer who jazzed it up. There was a, this little cute a Ford a GT um, that he had a such a heavy lead foot on, on the shift. And I remember when I came in and they were shocked that I actually couldn't drive the shift at the time. And also they were like trying to see it without telling me how I'm gonna do it. And I just loved it because they jazzed up the engine and everything else and made an amazing sound. So I felt like I'm driving on the race track and with all the sound, but actually was just a little forward at the time. So I just have to say that was my first experience with American cars. Uh, and I'm sure over the time um, things shifted for you as well. So that's awesome. So what happened with the website? Just tell us, please, uh, what, how that's turning into more, because you obviously created a phenomenal book and how your side hassle turned to an amazing lucrative multimillion dollar business. So that was the ls1tech.com. It still exists today. And initially we were building it for just to hang out, like I said, and, and within 10 months, it was making about $10,000 a month profit. And it wasn't even until then we started to think, oh man, this is like a business. I need to go create an LLC and, and you know, create a separate bank account, like all the things that you think about you would have to do before you started a business. And why I illustrate that is because a lot of people see these companies that we build into millions of dollars and they think that, oh, they must have had everything figured out before they started and they had all these things yeah. in place and it did everything and they had the systems and the processes and employees and, and it made all this money. And no, I, I actually just did this in my spare time. I taught myself how to use Photoshop to make the logo and 
I, I read some magazines and books on how to set up the server and get the software uploaded. And we didn't have YouTube and we didn't have podcasts and we didn't have uh, even social media back then. So it was 2001. So I learned all this stuff by just reading and asking questions with people who had done this kind of stuff. And then I got the results and it started to grow and we took some lessons. We lost some money here and there trying to figure things out. We didn't understand the advertising. We didn't understand the core values that a leadership required to scale the company that big. And yes. you know that, that company within year two, it was making definitely a lot more than my salary. It was making about $400,000 a year profit. And in 2007, we sold that for a couple million to a larger company that was going around and acquiring all these different automotive forum communities. And by that time, there was close to 300,000 registered members. Wow. And the, uh, nowadays, it's well over 300,000 registered members. It still exists today. It's still the number one General Motors resource for all the information on these kind of performance cars. So is that the uh, community that you build, uh, that you combine with registered members uh, early on that um, you were able to leverage and utilize uh, before, obviously, social media? Yeah, we sold that in 2007. And you think about this Instagram and Facebook, that was 2008 to 2010 when those rolled out. So yes, you know, I was able to duplicate that business model while we owned it. We, we said, hey, well, this is doing so well that let's create a truck website. So we created performancetrucks.net and that also exists still today. And that one grew to over 280,000 registered members. And since we already had a lot of the relationships with the advertisers like General Motors and Cadillac and all the GMC and all the parts manufacturers and racetracks and live events, we had all the connections with them. I said, hey, we're going to go build a truck website. Would you guys <laughs> like to participate in that one too? And they said, well, yeah, you guys make such a great community. We'd be love to be involved in that. So I basically was able to create the same business model with the same staff and everything and just different brand in the same vertical. And, you know, that was another one that got sold as well. So that you know, I've been able to duplicate the process. So I guess it wasn't a lightning strikes once type scenario. But that is amazing. I love how you did self-thought, pushing forward, figuring out trial and error, playing bold. Yes, lose some, gain some, but then figure it out and game big, right? And then you rinse and repeat because you figure it out. If this worked in this environment, why not? Because people are craving connections. People are craving sense of belonging and also having fun and, and knowing that ratio. So do you mind based on your experience and be able to build over and over these beautiful communities on specific niche and topics? Do you mind sharing what, what is the secret of successful community building? Because so many people are trying to do that or doing it in different ways. And I don't, I don't see really as successful healthy models, specifically, as you mentioned before internet, and after the internet. So please. I mean, social media, I meant to say. Did I lose you? Uh-oh.
You jumped off. <laughs> You're yeah, back. Signal, it, it froze up for sure. So it's okay. Maybe, it's okay. I, did, no. I didn't hear the last question. You said something about community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we'll, I did it. Um, I was just, I just, I'm just curious because obviously you did this before social media. Uh, so let let me back up for a second. So we'll start from here. So do you mind sharing with um, audience how did you successfully build? Oh, many times over before social media and after social media, amazing communities. So many people try to do that and replicate somebody else's successes. But I always feel like ingredients, what is the key ingredient to build amazing community, regardless social media wise or not, in order to thrive? That's uh, definitely the multi-million dollar question. So I'm glad <laughs> you asked that one. For me, I, I do things at a high level. I don't like to do things like as a hobby. So even though these were side businesses, I still treated them like a business. And I also positioned them as something that maybe they looked more successful than they were. Because when you're entering the market with some kind of a community or anything that you're building a product or service, you're being compared against the top of the game, the people that are perceived as the best of the best. And you have to really do an assessment of the communities that exist or the products that exist and ask yourself, what is it that differentiates them from myself or my brand? And I find that a lot of times people start business as a side business, as a hobby. They go, oh, it's a hobby. Yes. And they, they treat it like a hobby and they get hobby results. And then they don't want to know why that they're not making a lot of money is because regardless of the amount of time you invest, you got to think about it. This is a business and the market, the market doesn't care if this is day one or day 1000 of your business. So you have to treat it like a serious thing and, and spend the money to go build the brand and, have the right infrastructure and, and make the presentable and make a professional looking website that doesn't look like your five-year-old kid did it on, on a nap break, you know, because I, I find a lot of times people think like these are just checkbox items. Oh, I need to create a business name, checkbox. I need to go create a business account, checkbox. I need to make a website, checkbox. And they don't really look at the quality of those things. They just, they just in a hurry to put these things out there to try to build a presence. And that is a really short-sighted way of, of doing that because you're going to miss the initial wave of your friends and family that are going to be excited for you when you launch something. And those are the first people that get to introduce the thing that you're rolling out, right? If you're writing a book, usually it's your friends and family that'll see it first. And if you haven't built something that looks professional, that's what the market would actually expect at that level, then you're going to lose that first round of first impressions, which is terrible. So I always try to think about that as so the businesses, we just do things the right way. We made sure we were on par with what the other people were creating. And then you got to build the right community. So I've, I've got a guy about to blow leaves in front of my window. So, so you may have to edit this out. It's okay. I can't hear it. So you're doing good. Okay. So I can, he's like, he's really loud. So let me know. So, <laughs> so with that in mind, so to be a community leader, you basically have to understand that you need to be a part of the community and be embedded within the community and participate within your own community. I find a lot of times people, especially nowadays, they're too focused on building followers. They yes. want big follower accounts. I want followers. I got to go Instagram and I got to go to Facebook. And they're always looking for followers, even on Clubhouse, they're looking for followers. And that's cool. It's a vanity metric, but it's not nearly as cool as building an actual community of people. And the main difference between a follower versus a community is that as a leader, I'm trying to go through the community and make really strong connections between the members of the community, not members to me. That's one way. That's one level of communication, like me to them. That's what a follower is. Community is like, I want them and them and them to become best friends within my yeah. community. And I need to facilitate that by 
having some events or in-person things or group challenges, just things that they'll team up and they'll become friends because just like your local bar, your favorite bar, everybody goes to their favorite bar because they recognize the people there and they can't wait to see their friends again. So online communities are no much, no different than that. But a follower base is really about ego, putting yourself on a pedestal and thinking like, I'm super awesome. And you guys are just here for me and look at me flex and doing it and showing all this fancy stuff. And that's not a community, you know, they're, they're watching you, but they're not integrating and talking amongst themselves. So that's the difference is you got to be a little bit of a humble servant leader. Everybody knows who the boss is or who owns it, but you need to be accessible. I think there's a lot of times people have some kind of notoriety or fame or have me have a big following. They're like, Hey, I'm going to start a community too. And they do. And they realize that it's a lot of work. This is yes. too much work. I, I, people are asking me questions. People are wanting to communicate with me and I don't have time for this because I'm just super important and I'm way better than everybody else. And they have this wrong mentality. And so they'll start a big community. It'll, it'll fizzle out within the first year because they didn't integrate themselves and show that they're actually a contributing member of their own community. And when you do that, that's when you get the results. And some of these people will never get that. And that's okay. Cause there's people like me that do get this and I'll win. That is fantastic observation and feedback for everybody that is just posturing for something. As you said, the vanity, quick look and glimpse and approach versus being accessible, approachable and included in the conversations and dialogue. Uh, and I'm sure you apply that into your book, into your podcast, and that philosophy fits with everything you do, I'm assuming also with your executive coaching. So uh, uh, I'm, do you mind just elaborating a little bit more how that principle and concept you disseminated across everything you do and across all of your phenomenal brands. Yeah, I guess for the 365 driven, that is the coaching and entrepreneurship group. So I'm taking the same leadership principles, the same core values, the the same knowledge that I've built over the last 20 years and just applying it instead of cars, I'm going to apply that to entrepreneurship because it's the other passion I have. And and so my goal is to build a, an entrepreneurship community consisting of millions of people now, because I've already done half a million. So I, I like to at least beat my own records, right? Yes. So eventually I would like to have this be millions of members worldwide. And it's not going to be a high ticket expensive thing because I don't believe in making a maximum amount of transactions on people. I try to make things where, hey, I'm going to try to contribute enough value where it's going to be a no brainer for people to join. And, you know, 365 driven that number daily, right? 365. That's the yes. price point of my club. So I got a, a society that's about you know, 200 members right now and a larger group that's about 4,000 members. And even the, the low ticket paid group is it's a dollar a day. It's $365 for an entire year. So they get access to me and I'm answering questions and I'm embedded in that and I'm providing content and they get you know, behind the scenes interviews of the podcasts and things like that. So you got to give them some perks. There's also online courses that they get it as a, as a gift for joining that I used to sell those for $2,000. And now they're like included in that. So I really wanted to make it a no brainer type, you know, irresistible offer. And that's why it's doing so well. But, you know, to me, like some people, some coaches will want to have a, a group like mine, they're like, Oh, it's $2,000. And I, I get that. But they're also thinking really small, because that's not going to scale out to millions of people by doing that. So I'd rather have a million people paying a dollar a day, than having to try to maximize the transactional value on each person and just minimize the group because you know, I'm in a legacy phase of my life and I want my message to get out there and reach as many people and impact as many people as possible. So I wanna keep it a low ticket price point. And, and even some of the people that were advising me on this business model were like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, you should charge like $3,000 for that. And 
I'm looking at these people that I'm hiring as consultants and I'm like, well, they've never built what I've built. Exactly. They don't have any context or experience building or even leading any kind of a large group. It's like, I'm very comfortable leading hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people. And so I'm going to bet on me. And I rolled that out and it did exception. Well, I had a six figure launch and people were like, holy crap, that actually worked. I was like, yes, because that's who I am. It's not who you are. <laughs> and I love that point of view because a lot of times people are giving advice, as you said, and never been there, done that. And they don't have no idea. They don't share your vision. They don't understand the concept of the business, but they're giving very generic ways of doing things. And just because me work for some, and but, but what I love, Community is all about a masses, right? Community is all about inclusivity. It's not about exclusivity. It's about opportunity for to level level set with people that also come from different financial uh, means, but they feel that it can be part of it and they can thrive and learn from each other. And I just love that when you said you're in a part of your legacy aspects of your life. So do you mind touching a little bit about that uh, with our listeners and audience? Yeah, the legacy thing for me, as I look back through my life, all the decades, I would say that my purpose has shifted from each decade of my life. So, you know, teenage years, you're just trying to fit in and maybe get a girlfriend. Twenties, I was focused on getting education and trying to establish more authority and responsibilities in the work side and try to, you know, uh, apply some of the things I was learning. Thirties, I was definitely like most men focused on just trying to make money. Like I was just trying to figure out that's when the business was doing really well. I was doing really well in my oil and gas career. I was investing in different things and, and I was just really stacking money and I was making sacrifices to do that. And then in my forties, I started to think about more legacy stuff. I had the financial results and, you know, and it wasn't until 2015, I was in a major car accident racing cars. And in that moment, it was a near death experience. I hit a concrete wall at 130 miles per hour as I was racing. Wow. And I thought I was going to die in that moment. I was approaching the wall and I was like, well, here I go. And, you know, I felt this really profound feeling of peacefulness. You know, you would think you in, in a near death experience, you would fear like really fear and like be scared. I just felt really comfortable. And I said, well, here I go. Because it was out of my control. I can't do anything. I'm approaching this wall. It's whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I survived that accident without any major injuries because I had safety gear on and, and the car was destroyed. I mean, there was wheels off the car and it was a very traumatic experience, but I was really calm in that moment. And even as the paramedic at the track was inspecting me and asking me questions to see if I had a concussion and, and looking around to see if I had any injuries. And, you know, after she inspected me, she goes, you know, there's something really you know, different about you and you want me, you want me to tell you what it is. I was like, what? And she goes, people out here crash every night. You were in a major accident and you're remarkably calm. Like most people would have the adrenaline shakes and the fear and the yes. cold sweats and yes. just, you know, heavy breathing. And I was just, I was just like calm as I am right now speaking to you. And I said, I am calm because I was still reflecting on that moment of peacefulness and why I felt that in the first place. And then I started thinking, why am I still here? You know, then I, the next question that comes in your mind is what if I would have died? And then the next question is like, well, how would I have been remembered if I would have died? And then mm. the next question comes in is, Am I doing enough? Am I creating enough impact? And for me, looking at my, my past, it would have been no. It was a no for me. And, and as somebody that's always been driven and high performing, what it showed me was that I had become successful 
and I'd only also benefited those who are immediately around me. So it was my friends and my family and some of my employees that I helped with their businesses that became highly successful in their own regard. But I had a lot more in me to, to, to reach millions of people. And I was afraid to be on camera and I didn't like being on stage and I didn't like my recorded voice. And, and so I said, okay, well, what if I write a book? And so I actually left my corporate job in 2015 after that accident. I, I said, I don't want to go back to that. I need to be more focused on my legacy, which to me, I didn't know understand at that time until really early 2017, I started really saying, okay, what's the best way for me to impact the most people in this world? And I was thinking about, you know, all these things I can get into nonprofits. And I was thinking about all these different things that you can be a philanthropist. And for me, it was like, well, I only like two things. It's cars and I like business and I got entrepreneurship. So why don't I just teach people the other passion? Everybody knew my automotive businesses. Why don't I just teach them entrepreneurship? The other thing I love to do and I can talk about all day. And that's where I decided, like, that's how I'm going to impact millions of people. Because even if I don't impact them directly, millions of people, it will change their family, their generational legacy. If I change their lives, it will change their children's lives, grandchildren's lives, and it will build a legacy. And so I so said, that's how I'm going to do this because I'm, I'm the right person to do that. Now I had to become the right character to get my message out there. So the funny thing is, Isabella, as I wrote that book, as a means to get what was in my mind out to the public, but I was actually doing it in a cowardly way. I was still hiding from the camera and I was still hiding from the, the microphone and the stage. I said, I could just do this and nobody will have to know me. And I, I could put it out there and it could reach thousands of people. And I said, oh, the, there's my impact. And then here's the thing. <laughs> As I was writing this book, I was giving a chapter at a time to my editor. And my editor's like, this is a really, this is a really good book. It's going to sell a lot of copies. I can tell it's going to be a good book. I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. I'm putting a lot of stuff into it. I'm really hoping it's going to do well. And he's like, and then he said it. He's like, you might be interviewed. They might want you on TV, radio, podcasts. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like, here's that fear again of me wanting to hide from putting myself out there. And it's showing up again. I said, okay, at this time, I need to go all in and I just need to be the right person to be able to do that. So I I joined Toastmasters and I went to speaking lessons and I hired a speaking coach and I did a bunch of videos on social media every single day to try to get more comfortable doing it. And they sucked and I knew it, but that's the best I could do at the time. And as I did that, I started to inspire people and take people on my journey because I knew that I was trying something new that was completely out of my wheelhouse. And as I started to get better and I started winning competitions and public speaking and being on bigger stages and being interviewed exactly like, like the book sold thousands of copies the first week and sold thousands of copies since then, since 2018, when it came out and it's still selling thousands of copies a year. I've been on over 300 podcasts as a guest. I've been on TV, I've been on radio and big stages. And so everything that he mentioned could happen has happened. Right. But I had to prepare myself. I had to prepare myself to be that right person. And that was a lot of work. And and it was a lot of, you know, self-limiting beliefs and head trash in there as well that we had to work through to get to where I'm doing today. I just love the parts of transformation you went through and what you just shared and how you recognize you have to level up. You have to also step up and do things that are uncomfortable and uncomfortably comfortable keep going. And it's just so beautiful, not only how fluid you are in your conversation, 
but right now today, obviously, but, but just the process, because only way we can get better by doing it, right? It's like, you can replace experience with any theoretical practical implication and you definitely walk the talk. And that's so beautiful for anybody that's watching and listening and it's on Clubhouse, definitely being in the rooms and hearing your share and, and just the wisdom and wealth of knowledge that you bring. It's so beautiful because so many people share a little bit but not enough or share just some parts of it and you don't really understand the whole concept of your journey and 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 also what what had to be done we always see either results or a little sliver of some information and just hearing this process and path that you undertook and and not giving up and seeing results over a period of time and keep going and doing what worked uh, and what makes sense is just a great advice for all entrepreneurs that are struggling right now and if you don't mind, since we have very little still in universities and colleges information and right curricula uh, as an educator myself and looking things from critical mass, it's like entrepreneurship, when you look at how many businesses are uh, in the United States alone, it's over 80% covering everything that entrepreneurship and small businesses are doing. But yet we have so little education and yet we have such a high risk of failing. Do you mind sharing from your passion and your knowledge some of the golden nuggets right now that people can take action on as they're rethinking, revisiting, either to give up or give more energy into it due to all these unexpected downturns economically with COVID and, and just overall with themselves that who they are not in order to deal with the magnitude of crisis they're exposed to? So you're asking me what advice I could give to avoid Failure or be, what do you mean? Uh, to avoid the failure, sorry, yes. To avoid the failure, but also knowing when, when to push forward or maybe, okay. you know, or assess, do you need to change something either in the model or approach or when is the time to throw the towel? Is, is, is it giving up option? And when is the option based on your experience and things you've seen and experienced so far? So the answer to that was really easy. If you're, if you're asking how to start or when to start a business, that's today, today, because the number one excuse is that you're not ready or it's the wrong time or, you know, someday I'm going to do this or someday I'm going to do that. And everybody talks about it. But if you go look in the calendar, here's a shocker. There's no days named someday. <laughs> so unless you buy a calendar that has someday on there, this is never going to happen. And the excuses that we carry today will only be replaced by different sets of excuses later. So the other thing is, I think a lot of times people spend way too much time trying to fortify their knowledge. They, they consume our podcasts, they read yeah. all these books, they hang out on Clubhouse for hours and they take you know, notebooks full of notes, but they don't ever start. And the thing is, is that you gotta understand that the best entrepreneurs just start and they get better with reps. They just do, they just start. And, and starting could be really simple. It could be as simple as creating a name of a company. The next step might be going to get your bank account, go getting a checking account that's a business account with that name on it. You know, apply for your EIN number from the, the government so you can pay the taxes and do those kind of things. And all this stuff could be done at home and maybe create a PayPal account or a Stripe account so that you have a way to get paid by credit cards. So these things are really simple to do. And, and one day you could have all four of those things done and you actually would have a viable business started without really having to do much at that point. But most people don't even get that far. They just want to read and read and read and prepare and prepare and prepare. And they're never going to start. 
And the thing is, I think it's also harder for people who are very analytical, like I'm an engineer. Yes. And engineers and analytical people, people that are STEM degrees, they always like to say, well, I'm a perfectionist and I just want things to be right. And they don't understand that perfectionism is actually a weakness when it comes to business, because business is about starting, getting some iterations in there, reflecting and getting some feedback on how to improve and then just refining the process or the product as you go. It's not about getting it perfect the first time. So if, you, if any of you are listening out there and saying you're a perfectionist, like that's a terrible badge of honor to wear and go throw that in the trash. Go get started. You will improve. Everybody has to learn something. The losses or the, the businesses that close down, they happen, obviously, but they are also lessons that you take with you for the next one. And you should never think you're going to hit a grand slam on your first business. It's just the odds of doing that are, are extremely small. So I always think about what are the businesses you can start right now, grow, take the money from those and roll those into the next businesses that's maybe a little bit larger, grow that one, sell it maybe, build some profit out of it start the next business. I think of these like a staircase. So go start with a small business, something that's low risk, perhaps, and just grow it and see how you do Learn your entrepreneurship as you go. It's not going to be taught in schools. Like we can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts and everything about entrepreneurship. And you're going to nod your head and go, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And nothing is going to educate you like actually doing it and taking the actions, sometimes getting punched in the face, but that's how we learn. And you understand that even the entrepreneurship, you know, half of the businesses go out of business in the year two, you know, like, like more than half of businesses go out of business by year two. And knowing that is like, okay, so that's the odds that are against me, but maybe I can prove them wrong. Maybe I can learn from the people who have done the things and, you know, hire a coach, join an accountability group of entrepreneurs that will push you and challenge you and poke holes in some of the ideas that aren't going to really make things that are going to achieve the goals that you have. So it's not easy, but the rewards are worth it. And, and, and there's a lot of people that think that a career, a profession, a job is like steady. And that's just not true anymore because yes. as long as you work for somebody else, your employment is always one decision away from ending at any moment. Because you may have a supervisor that comes in tomorrow as the new supervisor. And then, you know what? I don't like this person. And I have a best friend that I want for that position that you're in. It can happen. I've seen it too many times. It's happened to me. So there's no such thing as a steady job anymore. So don't fall into that social narrative. It just doesn't exist. But as an entrepreneur, the only one that decides if you're going to go out of business is you. You can actually pivot. We saw a lot of things in 2020 with COVID and things like that. Well, companies just came around. They laid off people by the thousands. Like, hey, it's a financial decision. Nothing personal. You're laid off. You're unemployed. You didn't have an option. You didn't have a decision in that. But Very if you're an entrepreneur, sure. you can go, okay, well, I can't do this. But hey, you know what? I know marketing. I have a way to get paid. I've got an EIN number that I can report my taxes to. I know how to create a website or an e-com platform and I can change. I can do I can do something different. I can evolve. And that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is we have the freedom and the flexibility to adapt and where entrepreneurs really have that a huge advantage over employees. That is so true. And, and you're spot on with, with the shifts and change, right? And then just the, again, level of risk and, and, and attitude. Can you, if you think you can or cannot, in both cases, we're right, right? 
But I'm also seeing a lot of people are struggling because they don't know, should I keep pushing because I'm not seeing results and what I'm doing wrong or where I'm doing wrong? And is it, is it me? Am I not just meant to be successful? Why I'm not getting traction as I used to have? And then sometimes it's, it's, it's important to have these real conversations. And what would you say and share for those individuals, specifically when they're ahead of, of their own enterprises and businesses and they're not sure what to do right now uh, due to all of those changes and everything that is occurring and this this topic of why are early entrepreneurs not successful this is a good question because it's usually one of two things i've identified okay a lot of times people start businesses based on a technical or a skill that they have like they, they understand they're knowledge based or they're a skill based let's use an example that i like to use like a mechanic for a car shop they're out there turning wrenches, they're sweating all day, they're dirty, they're watching their boss sit in the air conditioned office, driving his fancy pickup truck, and they're thinking, I could do what he does, I could be my own shop, you know, why am I out here working so hard when he's in there making all the money. And so they think, okay, I'm the best mechanic in here, I can start a successful business. So they try that, they save up maybe $10,000. And they go rent some property and they put a lift in there. And they put a sign out and they go, okay, I'm a, I'm a real business owner now, because I'm a good mechanic. And then they realize within the first year, they're going bankrupt. They're not making a lot of profit because they leverage their, their knowledge on the tools way higher than understanding business, right? So whenever you are understanding that you may have a real fine set of knowledge, you know, academia, you talked about university stuff, like maybe you know something that pays you really well because you know something. But when you go start a business, any knowledge base or skill sets you have essentially becomes 50% of the success. So you have to invest that same amount of you know, knowledge and time and love and effort into becoming a business owner and a manager and a leader as you do in the other stuff. So you'll never become successful just with your knowledge or your skills. You have to apply that to business as well. So I see a lot of people skip that step that go, Hey, you know, I make six figures as an engineer, I can go be a consultant and they, they, they want to go start a consultancy. We see this all the time. Yes. And, and they're making less money than they were as just as an employee. And they're like, well, this, I, I'm not good at this. There's something wrong. I don't know why. And the answer for that, Isabella, is that they don't understand. It's a, it's a marketing problem. Like 99% of the time, it's a marketing problem. They don't understand how to market. They don't understand how to identify their ideal customers. They don't understand messaging, positioning, branding. They don't have the courage to push the record button and go do videos and create content to get their message out there. They just think that, Hey, if I just put the sign out or just this crappy website out that all of a sudden all this money is going to come in, you know, they, cause they, they read too much stuff on the internet and they read too much things on there. Oh, you can make mailbox money or inbox money. You can just go create this website and all this money is going to start coming in and people will find you on Google search. And it's just not true because that's being a, a really a reactive way to try to generate leads and make marketing. You have to be proactive and be aggressive with that. And most people are not comfortable doing that, especially if they come from corporate and they go, well, you know, I never had to market before. I've never had to sell before. And, and, and they're, they're kind of hesitate. I don't like doing videos. I don't like being a sleazy salesman. And they, they have these negative connotations with marketing and sales. And that is 99% of the problem for these people because they're highly gifted. They, they can solve the problems. They know the technical, the, the tools, they know all this stuff, but they don't know how to market or position themselves or create the right opportunities or run paid ads and do the marketing for them. They just don't understand that. And so they give up and that's really sad because they, they got so close, but if they were just hired somebody that could teach them that stuff or just hired some other people to do that for them, 
they could be hugely successful. They just didn't give themselves the right chance and they quit too soon. That is, again, amazing gold because a lot of times we don't know what we don't know and we don't ask and we don't assess and we don't have a good sense of where we're at and what we need to tweak it. And sometimes it's just that less than 10% change that can really turn the dial completely and floodgates open. And I'm so glad you reflected on. And if you don't mind, Tony, sharing, what was the pivotal thing for you to really be able to have that such around a sense of yourself and business and your success? And, and what would you recommend for people to do? Because obviously from engineering mind and exploration and testing things out, uh, what would you say is, is the essential to have in place? And what kind of attitude and aptitude and, and, and what kind of extra external support people typically need in order to succeed? Because we're seeing all kinds of information, right? And I can see so many people being just exhausted because they try so much and put money on all kinds of different things with different people, but then on the end, they still do not produce results. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about those moments of entrepreneurial journey towards the success. I would say that my superpower in this regard is consistency and discipline over time. I think a lot of times people really go in, they go hard for about two months. They try something new, whether it's a fitness plan or starting a business or launching a podcast, they can commit to use about two or three months and then they quit because they think that they should get better results than they're entitled to. They feel an entitlement. Like I'm seeing uh -huh. Isabella and Tony doing these podcasts and they got hundreds and thousands of people listening. And, you know, I speak better than them. I look better than them and I know all the stuff and I've had success. So why aren't I not getting these results? And the thing is they don't short, they try to shortcut the process. Right. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is that when you're building an audience or you're building your marketing or your pipeline of, of leads, it takes time. And it takes consistency to show up every single day over time. And I know this is a strategy. I know that people are going to quit in two or three months. So my strategy is like, I'll just outlast them. If I know they're going to quit in two to three months, but I'm willing to go 12 months, whether I, whether I want to or not. And there's a lot of days we don't feel like doing this. And the thing is that successful people don't need motivation. They want the result. So if I know that I have an 80% advantage over people just by outlasting them, that's, that's part of my strategy. I'll just keep showing up every day, putting in the con, you know, create the content, do the work, do the lead gen. And soon enough, the people that started with me in that wave will quit and then I'll be at the top 20%. And it's a whole lot easier to compete when there's only a top 20% that you've outlasted 80% of your competition. So I don't start anything unless I know I'm going to commit to it at least a minimum of 12 months. And the thing is, is that if you think that you're going to get results sooner, you got bad news for you because the only way to get results sooner is by spending more money. So if you have a lot of money, you can shortcut time because you can hire the resources and the people and the experts that do those kind of things. If you don't have a lot of money, you better have the time to do the things because if you don't put in the time, you're not going to get the result. So there's only two ways to get there and you're not going to get there fast and free. It just doesn't happen. Okay. So with podcasts, a lot of people, I see this, we go to these podcast groups on Facebook and people are like, hey, how many downloads did you get in your first three, 30 days? And they're all excited. And they're like, they're like, oh, I'm only getting 50 downloads per episode. I must suck at this. This is not for me. And, and I'll reply, hey, I get thousands of downloads per episode now. And I started out just like you. But here's the thing you don't know. Even the first 10 episodes that I created when they only had 30 to 50 downloads each when I launched them have thousands now. So it isn't about the timeliness of this, like, like, 
oh, in 30 days, the, the, like the people stop listening to this episode. No, if your show starts to do exceptionally well, people will go back to episode one and they will binge listen to every one of those things. So you can't worry about what's going on today. You have to think about the future. And it is truly exponential because you'll be days where you're like, okay, hey, I'm at 100, 100 per episode. And you think that's big and you go, oh, cool. And then it hits a thousand per episode and you go, oh, this is amazing. But you realize like all those other ones also had a thousand. People go back and they listen to it and you're like, oh my gosh, it's why was I so focused on things at the beginning when it doesn't really matter? It's how I finish, how I, how I grow this thing. And so there's, that's a lot like how business is, right? Any type of business you said, there's going to be some momentum. There's going to be some ups and downs and you just got to keep putting the throttle on. You got to keep the marketing machine on. And I've seen some people go, well, hey, I'm really busy. I don't need a market now. I'm too busy. And it's like, you don't understand business then because Marketing is not something that is a throttle for if you're busy or not. It's about being top of mind relevant so that when somebody does need your product or service, they think of you first because they've seen your content over and over and over. And they go, hey, Tony or Isabella, you are the ones that do this and I need that and I need it now. And But if you quit your marketing for that month because you're too busy, what are they going to think? Well, hey, I haven't seen Isabella in a while. Hope things are okay. She out of business. She's still doing her stuff. And you could be really busy on the back end, but if you're not relevant by top of mind, they're always going to assume the worst. And there's your momentum that you lost, right? They're going to go look for somebody else like me who's showing up every day creating content. And they're going to say, hey, this person's always there. They're, they're killing it. They've got the results. Like, I'm going to work with this person. So you, so you always have to be marketing every single day, every single week. That's a momentum thing. And I see so many people fail at that. And they go, oh, I'm not getting the results. It's like, you're not entitled to any results. Nobody... And this planet owes you anything. So you have to be aggressive enough to go get that stuff, earn it and ask for the work, you know, and I see a lot of times people hesitate on just asking for the sale or, or the, hey, let's work together. I, I can help you like, and, and you know, you can help them, but you're not asking for the sale. And when you don't do that, you're not, the answer is always going to be no, you know what I mean? So outlast people, outwork them, show up every single day and do it for a minimum of 12 months or don't even start. Mm. That is amazing advice again, because uh, you, you spot on lack of commitment or lack of consistency kills the dreams, kills the momentum, but also kills desire uh, to, and kills self-esteem. I've seen so many people that they really feel lost and they don't feel like they're good at anything or they don't know uh, what they should be focusing on. And sometimes we're trying to, way too many things, right? And it's like, how do you now really focus on the most important things? And we usually gravitate towards things that are easy, that are natural to us versus the things that we all, they're also part of the business. And, and that is how you level up. How do you outsource? How do you pivot? How do you give to someone else to do some parts of that equation to manage that they have a amazing expertise and knowing yourself, knowing your strengths, knowing what you're good at it and knowing what you are not replaceable because nobody can be leading your podcast. That's you. That's your brand. Nobody can discuss in this 365 driven groups unless it's guests around how you serve your community because that's you're the name, you're the brand, you're the voice, right? So just like certain things, nobody, but you also don't want to dilute the quality you're offering and the volume, as you said. So so right now, I'm curious, uh, what would you recommend if somebody want to elevate their game and they're wanted to see where is the most important piece? Obviously, you mentioned marketing and high quality content. Um, but I'm curious when people are trying to build too many things at the same time, 
uh, what would you suggest and recommend to them? Because I feel like it's almost like if you're trying to do all of these different hats, wear all these different hats and roles, and it's like, can you be all of this? Is it possible? We know the answer, right? I mean, I mean, first of all, I would say, going back on what you mentioned earlier in this segment, imagine you're working a career right now. Imagine that you don't like your job. Imagine that you dread getting up every morning to go do your job. And, I, and I've been there been there. It's not always the company. It's sometimes the supervisor that you work with that makes your life miserable. And imagine that you get a little bit of courage and you decide to go try to do something and you start a business, but you don't fully commit and you don't go the full 12 months, regardless of the outcome. And you, and you quit the three month mark like most, and then you have to go back and get another job. You know how demoralizing that's going to be to you. And now when you're sitting in the next cubicle and you're yes. going to be thinking, oh my gosh, I quit my job and I tried and I failed. I'm not good at that either. I, I just fail at everything. Like however bad do you think you feel right now working at your job, wondering if you could be a better entrepreneur, you're going to feel twice as bad if you go try it and you don't give yourself the full effort and you don't go 100% in and you have to go get another job. You're going to feel twice as bad. So if you think you feel bad now, you better commit fully and go all in before you even think about trying to do something in business. So with that out of the way, I think that what your question is, is how, how do we, how do we shift into reframe that question you mentioned? Please. Uh, uh, what, what, what I was thinking is with everything that it's now competing, when everything's mm -hmm. kind of coming and clashing, how, and people are overwhelmed, what would you recommend for them where to start and how to start and, 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 and also know and look at what other options are like we know for opportunity to outsource something or opportunity to really um, pivot in a much more healthier way because we see also the blueprints and pattern right that is just happening right now not not just because what happened last year but the lessons that we learned from the last year that we need to adjust so if you don't mind sharing a little bit about that yeah I love this question <laughs> On Clubhouse, we see a lot of people with their, their profile filled out and they'll say like serial entrepreneur and they'll have, they do lashes and they, they sell cars and they're a realtor and they, they do all these different things, right? And they, they wonder why they're not rich because they're getting bad advice out of context. They're looking at internet memes and the one that most common is says that all millionaires have seven streams of income. And so mm -hmm. somebody's like, somebody reads that and they go, well, I'm not a millionaire. And I only have one stream of income. Therefore, I need six more streams of income so I can become a millionaire. They read this completely out of context. Yes. What you need to understand is that millionaires become millionaires with one stream of income. And then they buy the second stream of income or build the second stream of income. And then that one makes a lot of money. And they build the third stream of income. You don't, you don't go make a bunch of different things and try to make a million dollars. You go make a millionaire and be at one thing. You know, guys, go, go be an exceptional, the authority at one thing, the thing that you think you could do the best mm -hmm. and then go do the seven streams of income. So with that context, I see a lot of people think that, hey, if I go start this business, I'm gonna have five side hustles and these things. And you gotta understand that your attention and your time is limited. We all have a certain amount of hours per day. And when you start dividing your attention into all these different things, you're going to be half-assed at all of them because you're going to be the jack of all trades, the master of none is what we say. And yeah. you, know, you got to understand that I need to position myself with my skill set, my knowledge, my passion, my experience to become the best at this and grow that and learn how to scale that and put a lot of love and attention into that. And that's, that's what I think a lot of times people have overwhelmed is because they're doing too much 
because they think they need to have all these businesses. Now, for me, working corporate and building a company that did as well as it did and being able to replicate that, I realized that I didn't have a lot of time to do that. So I built my businesses online purposely because I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to be any, anywhere physical location. And they also operate 24-7 in the background, whether I'm asleep or I'm awake. And then also being an engineer, I was able to write processes and systems and train other people to do the things that I did. So I, as I started to make more money, I could pay other people to do things that I didn't have to be there again. And there was a lot of times when I was working offshore and oil and gas where I was gone for 28 days in a row and sometimes didn't have internet. So I didn't have to be there. I actually hired people to run those things and I just got money, you know, and I, I could actually start using my communities as a member rather than having to run things. So if you don't have time, you have to learn how to automate things. You need to learn how to write processes that you can train other people at a low dollar per hour rate. There's virtual assistants around the world nowadays that are really intelligent, have degrees. Yes. They can, you can train them to do things. If you can write a process on, here's how I do this one step, and you can write that in an eighth grade level, which is really easy for most anybody listening to this, you can hand that to someone that's making $3 an hour who actually, that's a lot of money to them in their country, and they're exceptional at it, and they love to do this kind of stuff. And you could just have these different virtual assistants doing these things for you in the background and making you money. So there's a lot of creative ways to do these kind of things now. And I think that we need to learn how to delegate what we hate. If you're not a good marketer, or you don't know how to code websites, go hire somebody to do that. Quit trying to figure that stuff out and being cheap and not wanting to invest money in your company. Go hire somebody that loves to do that. It's going to do a lot better job because here's the thing. If you are trying to do too many things, what you're going to be is a very highly paid person that does things half-ass and you don't like what you're doing. You're like the worst employee at your own company because you're overpaid to do the things that you should be farming out to someone that pays a lot less and you're not as good as it as them. So you're highly paid and you're ineffective. So when you start realizing like, man, I need to fire myself from these tasks and like hire that kind of <laughs> stuff out. And now you can start to free the time up to work on the things that you truly are exceptional at. You know, as a coach, as an executive coach, I make a thousand dollars an hour. So I don't need to be trying to figure out how to do these things that I could pay somebody $10 an hour to do. It's like, I'd rather just farm that out unless it's something I truly enjoy. You know, I still like to do graphic design and I enjoy that because I'm a creative. So sometimes I'll still do the creative stuff. I'll design stuff for myself, but anything that's administrative or, or, or accounting, I got a CPA for that. I don't, I don't even like to do the CPA stuff. Like taxes, tax season right now. Are you kidding me? No, thanks. Like, here's all the paper stuff. Like you go do that. And he's like, yeah, I love doing this stuff. I'm super pumped. I'm like, cool. Like, I'll just pay you. Cause I don't want to do that. See? So too many people try to do too many things and they should be delegating what they hate and trying to, you know, try not to overpay yourself to do these administrative things. That is excellent advice. Thank you, Tony, for sharing that because right now we don't know what that is often. And when we don't know, and when we don't make a right decision or, or that is also the pro part of the problem but more we know we can make better decisions as well and and pivot so with that in mind um do you mind just sharing i mean you accomplished so much and obviously people you have a great community and i'm curious how people can get in touch with you and how people can uh have a conversation and i'm sure you through your consulting and coaching work that you do and how you build a community that people can also learn directly from you how they can replicate some of your success and how they can find you. Yeah, my community and my website is all in one place. It's 365driven.com. And from that website, you'll find my podcast, my best-selling book, all the social media channels that I'm a part of and, and the community if you'd like to join. It's all 365driven.com. 
And it's amazing. Again, marketing, very easy to remember, very simplified. You don't have to go through 500 different things. You find a book on Amazon and you find us over here and you find things over there. I just love, and that is again, really great example of simplification, but also streamlined process, not only for users, but everything else internal, which also tells me how amazingly everything is so efficient and mapped out. Uh, and that's the excellence and simplification that everybody is now craving. And I feel like we sometimes overcomplicate things, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you ask a guest that and they're like, hey, I'm on Instagram, I'm at 365 and I'm on LinkedIn, I'm forward slash blah, 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 Tony Watley. And on and it's like, oh my gosh, like people <laughs> are listening to podcasts are usually at the gym or they're driving or walking. They don't have a pen and paper They're And if you give them more than two places to go look, they're, they're going to forget the first thing you said. That is very true. And they will not do a take action on anything, right? No. And if you don't mind, before we close, I mean, this time flies and, and we're getting close to top of the hour, but I'm curious, um, you've been doing obviously so many different things. What's coming next? What is now coming in Tony's world uh, with all these great accomplishments? And what's there in the bucket list that you like to tackle? Well, I've started doing live events. We kicked off our first one back in October in Utah. We rented out a facility in the Zion National Park. And those are beautiful uh, it was oh. a, a spiritual yoga and meditation like retreat that we rented out the entire facility. It had 10 cabins and speakers come in. It's a high level type mastermind. We're going to do another one of those later. And I, I'm starting to book out time for my next book. I'm going to write a fiction book. I'm going to write a, I'm very creative and I have a really crazy imagination. So I want to push the boundaries and write something that maybe could potentially become a movie, but it's going to be entrepreneurship focused because I love that as well. And it's going to have some kind of adversity stories and things like that. So that's, that's the next project I'll be doing. That's fantastic. I love both of those. And I'm assuming that retreats will be again back in, uh, in Utah or, or are you thinking somewhere else geographically? We're going to, we're going to do different events and we will likely go back to that Utah event because everybody that attended loved it. Okay. That's fantastic. I'm in Colorado and I love to always, uh, Zion, it's amazing. But I was like, I'm also selfish. I was like, Colorado has so great locations. Oh, yeah. so let me know if you ever consider Colorado. Uh, and then in terms of your obviously legacy, you touched early on in our conversation from the community standpoint, but what in on end of the day, because you already built communities. So now just to create a ripple effect, but on the end of the day, when somebody says, I really cannot forget, this is what Tony is all about, what that would be for you to be remembered by. I think for me, it's going to be that I was just always transparent and that I just don't sugarcoat the, I don't sugarcoat things. I'm pretty direct. And I, it comes from a pace of love. I think too many people have, they're getting advice from people who don't really spell the truth to them. They, they want to yes. sugarcoat them and coddle them and make them feel safe and secure and all these things. And that doesn't really resonate with me because that's not what made me successful. I mean, I had football coaches. I had a, a dad that was a U.S. Marine and I don't like to bark orders, but I understand that people need the truth sometimes and the truth hurts, but that's really what they need. And, you know, if you could just be truthful to people and, and you could be respectful at the same time, they're yes. going to understand that, Hey, he's doing this for the good reasons. It's not to, to make me feel bad. And, you know, so for me, it's, a, I'm always going to be the humble leader, the servant leader that's, that's embedded in, that's part of the community. And that's just who I'm going to be, no matter how big I get or how, how famous I become, which, you know, people talk about that. I'm not going to change. I'm just, I'm just not going to, I refuse to change. 
And that is so beautiful because we've seen a, people posturing way less successful that are so not approachable, not accessible. And things that I see from the leadership lens and from the legacy standpoint, people that are approachable, accessible, no matter how big they are, that still care about people, those are the ones not only to continue to have a ripple effect, but also to be remembered by so many, because that's the way you touch people's hearts, not just their minds and outcomes, but that is where they also feel like they're, they're valued. And, and today, we more than ever, we need that, don't we? Absolutely. There's very few leaders out there that actually speak big, create results, and actually still are accessible. And that's unfortunate, but you know what? Again, if I think of them as a competition, that's good for me. I, I love that approach because then you can show them and it's all your market and opportunity to do that. And I feel like as so many of us similarly wanted to do that, and we just need to have the trajectory of success that is consistent so that that ripple effect can be created and impact more and more. And then to close in, Tony, with all of that, um, what would be one thing that you will leave the audience with that you will say that could be really the most important point to consider in order for them to tap into their potential and to be the best version of themselves and to create that success like you did, authentically real, honest, with proper intention and positivity? The number one thing that most people are held back for is the, the fear of potential criticism. They worry too much about what other people may potentially think or say about what they want to achieve. And it's really unfortunate that we allow people that would never attend our funeral to dictate our life. And when you start to think about wow. the haters and the naysayers and the critics out there, they're never going to be the person that buys something from you or refers business to you or supports you anyways, but you're so afraid of their negative words, which will happen, will happen. It's inevitable to have people who are naysayers, haters, and critics when you start to do things that are worth noticing. Because think about if you need evidence of that, think about all the people in historical times who have done things to try to impact or change this world in a positive manner. Every single one of them, think of the names, Martin Luther King, Jesus Christ, Mother Teresa, any positive person you can think of that was trying to change the world, they had haters, naysayers, critics, and sometimes even murderers in some instances. So why do you think that you're so important that you're not going to have anyone that dislikes you? You got to understand that this is part of the game. And that even, even in my group, we call about, we, we, we celebrate the hate. If somebody's trolling you or, or posting things negative on your timeline, we tell people, hey, go screenshot that, bring it back to the group. We're going to cheer because you finally earned your first hater which means you're finally doing something that's worth noticing because until you get those people, it means you're obscure. You're not doing anything. You're just hiding from those people. And there's going to happen. I would say about 5% of the people that come across your feed will be people that are negatively reacting to you. That's okay. Quit trying to make everybody happy. It's, it's literally impossible to do that and quit letting these people dictate your life and go focus on serving on the 95% of people that need your message, need your product, need your services who are waiting for you to raise your voice become known and help change their lives. So this is the time to just push those other people away. Understand you will see the criticism. Just understand that's part of the game. Now go do it. Wow, that is mind blowing and part of the equation, as you mentioned, but we've never been thought about that before and it's never been put into perspective. That is the part of the success and part of trajectory that everybody has to face and build the muscles to deal with. That is brilliant. 
Thank you, Tony. It was an absolute pleasure having you today at the Legacy Leader Show. This is to be continued dialogue. And again, I'm deeply grateful for your time and sharing such amazing uh, value to my audience and audience around the world that is always eager to learn something that they can apply. And this was definitely a very rich conversation. Well, thank you, Isabella. It's been an honor to be on your show and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.